And let's just open his word. We're talking about the kingdom. I started talking about the kingdom last week, and I want to talk about the kingdom again today. The kingdom of God. Everybody say the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. God is, he has a kingdom. And in order to be a kingdom, the word kingdom is a king that has dominion. Kingdom, king dominion. There's a king that has dominion. And he already had a kingdom, but he welcomed us into it. Isn't that incredible? God welcomed mankind, welcomed little man into his kingdom. But he already had a kingdom, and uh, the enemy has been trying to usurp. Everybody know that word, usurp? I had to, it just came to my spirit this morning just thinking of this sermon and it means to try to take, take something that's not yours, take it by force, try to take something. And the enemy's been trying to take God's kingdom. We don't know exactly how and when it began. We just know that he is pride. The devil, really, if you could summarize him and his, his kingdom, and it's a lower kingdom. Everybody say the lower kingdom. There is the high kingdom. There is the kingdom of God that is above all. He is above every other name. Right? That's not every other. That's every name. <laughs> he is above every single name. But there are other kingdoms, little lower kingdoms. All right? there, are, uh, there is a hierarchy to God. Everybody know that God has a hierarchy. He has the angels that serve him. He has Jesus in that kingdom, right? And those are, those are the, the parts that matter to us. Then there are the, they're unnamed. Really, the Bible just calls them principalities and powers, rules of darkness. We don't, the Bible doesn't really get into a lot, and it's because we don't need to really focus on them, but we must be aware of them. Everybody say, be aware, but not be focused, right? We need to be aware of the enemy's devices, but we don't focus on the enemy, do we? We focus on Jesus. We focus on his power. We focus on what he did on the cross, right? But it says, I don't want you to be ignorant in the word, multiple different ways, multiple verses. Don't be ignorant of the enemy. Don't be unaware. Don't be surprised, right? When things come, when trials come, and when he tries to get you down, get you stuck, get you trapped, get you in you, get you in self, etc. He doesn't care how, he just wants to get you. And so God has already a kingdom, but he's establishing his kingdom on the earth. Everybody say God is establishing his kingdom on the earth. And I just want to look at Jesus. He says in Matthew in chapter 4, as he began his ministry, he said, repent. He told us to repent and that the kingdom was near, that the kingdom's at hand, that the kingdom is coming. And then just a couple of chapters later, he mentions the kingdom many times. Who knows in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, kingdom, over and over again. I don't have time to go through all of those references. We may in the next weeks. But in Matthew chapter 6, remember his ministry began preaching the kingdom. He began the ministry preaching the kingdom, right? He is a king. He is Lord. We love and we should never, ever, ever get tired of thanking Jesus for his amazing grace, his amazing mercy, 
and his love for us through his blood on the cross. He is Savior, okay? We, I do not want to take that away from him or from you as believers. He is the Savior, but he is also, he is not, that is not his title though. He is a Savior to you, but he is Lord, which is very important. And I have a million examples of how I could explain that. I think that we've got that. I don't need to. I was about to give an explanation. I think you get it. He is our Savior, but his title is he is Lord. There is a kingdom. And so Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, and you can find this in the other Gospels as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's bring this up in the New King James. Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, Matthew 6, 9, pray. He tells us in this manner, this is Jesus' words. It's not, um, and I say this many times, some people discount Paul because they're like, well, Paul was a man. I don't like, I like Jesus, I don't like Paul. I like Jesus, I don't like Peter, right? Not that I would do that. Not that they're really, I mean, it's in my word. God preserved that book for 2,000 years and preserved the Old Testament for four, five, 6,000 years, whatever it is. All of it's important, but this is Jesus. Jesus spoke these words. Jesus said, tells us how to pray. I think when Paul tells us how to pray in Ephesians or how he was praying for us, it's powerful. And who has prayed the Ephesians prayer and have seen power come through those prayers in your own life or for someone else? But these are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he tells us a very simple prayer. It was never meant to be said in repetition and just said over and over and over again, thinking that we're going to move God. It's not a, this is not like a code this is not like a little secret hidden message code that unlocks God. And you, can, you can't say this 10 times in a row and have anything happen. For you who know what I'm talking about, you get that and that's that. But this is a powerful prayer, but it's a very simple prayer. And he says, our Father in heaven, we, we just start with God, you are Lord. He just starts it off with your Lord, right? And who prays like this many times in your own words, but you just say, Lord, you're Lord. I just want to tell you you're Lord. You are Lord, whether I, whether I call you Lord or not, you know, he is Lord. Whether we, we accept Jesus or not, his sacrifice was already done. That's why it's a free gift. It's whether we accept it or not, it was already done. That's why it's free. But it must be opened, right? It's a free gift, and we must open and embrace and then let it do its thing inside of us. But nonetheless... He is who he is, and what he has done is what he has done, whether you accept it or not. And I think it's important, and Jesus tells us it's important just to, just to say that, to understand that first of all. Just understand, first of all, he's God. Holy is your name. You are God. You are holy. And really what holy means is set apart, sanctified, set apart. You are not like anybody else. There is no one and nothing like you. You are God. You are holy. And then he continues, verse 10, and you know this, right? We know this, right? We know the Lord's Prayer here in the church. We're the believers. Your kingdom, everybody say out loud, your kingdom come. God, your Lord, you are God. There is none like you. There is no one. Lord, Bring your kingdom, your kingdom come. Establish your kingdom. 
You could say it as reestablish your kingdom or your kingdom that is unknown to this world, let it be known. Or the fulfillment of what you began, the kingdom. Let your kingdom be, let that kingdom come onto the earth. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Everybody say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in heaven, God's kingdom already is. There is no argument. There is no fighting. There is a war for this place. You know why? Because you live here. <laughs> but in heaven, there is no war. There, the devil is not fighting God in, we call it the heavens in the Bible. I'm not going to get into a whole Bible teaching of what that is. But heaven, where God dwells above it all. You know, some, there are some um, commentators there are, that there are seven heavens, seven levels to heaven, and that's a whole other study. But God in the heavens, God of God over, over all, over all of it, His kingdom is. Everybody say His kingdom is. It doesn't need to come. It is. His kingdom is. He is king. He is outside of time. Jesus was prophesied to us before He came, but even before He was prophesied, Jesus was. I know it's hard for our minds to get because we live in time. We have a beginning and we have an end. We have a start and we have a finish. And he is the beginning and the end. He is all of it. But in heaven, his kingdom is. It is, doesn't need to come. It is. And in heaven, his will, everybody say his will, is. It doesn't need to be done. It is. But Jesus Remember, Adam and Eve were created in God's image to have fellowship with God. We've been establishing this. God's kingdom. We don't know exactly when Satan came to the earth, but we know that he could not, he could not touch Adam and Eve. Whether he came after they did or they came after he did, that he was already here, that this was his world. We don't know. We don't know. I'm just saying blatantly, we don't know. We don't know what's going on in the stars and in the planets. We don't know if their purpose is just for our beauty or if that's where angels dwelled. Or, but what we do know is that Satan is the little G God of this world. So at some point, he had authority over this world. Everybody understand that. But what we see in the word is that the, he came to Adam and Eve and stole something away from them. He stole their place with God. He stole their place in the kingdom of God. God is a king, which means he didn't become a king. He's not going to become a king. There's not a kingdom that he's trying to work up. He is already. His kingdom already was. And the devil tried to stop it there in the garden, but God came up with a plan even before time, even before he tried to stop it, already through Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? But on this earth, even though it is, even though in heaven the kingdom is, it's not come, and even though in heaven his will is, it doesn't need to be done on this earth, earth, the reason that the kingdom was lost 
was because they broke his will. You're going to find a connection through the entire Bible of the kingdom of God and the will of God. Those go hand in hand. The will of God and the kingdom of God. If you asked for either, if you said, Lord, your will be done, then his kingdom would be coming. If you said, Lord, your, I want your kingdom to come, then his will would be given to you. You could reverse that in any way you want, but his kingdom and his will are one. God is not a democracy. God's kingdom is not a democracy. There are many in the Bible who um, can look as though they argue with God. Sometimes my kids say, I'm not arguing. They don't understand the concept. Like, you are arguing because you're still talking. They're like, well, I'm just asking a question. But I already said. <laughs> when I said and then you kept talking, that's arguing. They don't understand. I don't think we understand with God either. But we see God's amazing grace, don't we? We see God move when Abraham talked to God and said, Lord, is there any way that you could have mercy? You could have mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah. Is there any way? And God actually, right, they make a deal. 50, right? 40, 30, 10. Find 10 righteous people. And there is... This place in friendship with God and in the kingdom of God where we can talk to God and we have moved his heart, right? Repentance through the entire Old Testament. Repentance is such an amazing picture of God's grace, isn't it? You find that the person repents and I was just reading again and I had mentioned it some months back. Ahab, one of the worst kings in history, one of the worst kings of kings, and he repents. And then the Lord says, did you see how he repented? Did you see how he humbled himself? And he has grace on him. There is a place in God where we can move God's heart, and we can, his will is, I don't know how to describe it except softer, not set in stone on those particular issues or areas. And then there are things that are timeline things that you cannot bend that must be done. And we have the example, which we should never get tired of reviewing, where Jesus comes to his Father. He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, but on the earth he became like us, and he became in submission. He submitted himself to the Father as a picture for us picture he submitted and then we must submit and he comes to the Lord and he says Lord if it's possible let this cup pass from me otherwise if it's not going to go that way Lord your will be done and he prays that three times we know the answer the Lord's will is the Lord's will there are many things you know we don't know sometimes sometimes we have to go to him and get his will and sometimes we keep asking and asking and asking and asking and, and the, the Lord's will sometimes is bent and sometimes it is not. Because God is God. Everybody say He is God. He is a king. It is not a democracy. He is overall. We have this friendship with Him, but at the end of the day, we must say what Jesus said, your will be done. And then, so we see here that he says this prayer that 
He prayed that we must pray, that we want to pray for the kingdom and for the Lord's will to be done on earth. In heaven, the kingdom is, His will is, but on this earth, we are crying out for God to establish His kingdom for God's will. And Jesus is, as He tells us to pray this, He is the initiator. He is so many pictures. He is the foundation. He is the head of the body, right? They're all the pictures that we get in the Bible. But there is this thing, this thing that God is building called His church. And we see Jesus again as the foundation, as a head. He is in control. He is, the, he is the reason we can't build upon anything else. We can't be directed by anyone else. And yet, uh, we see this, this group of people called the church that God has put together. And it says that we must assemble. Do not forsake the assembling together of the believers. We don't just gather. The word assemble is very important to understand because... God has put each of us in a particular place. He has taken you, right? Who's, who has the same story as the person next to you in this room? Anybody? We all have a different story. We all have a different uh, path that got us to here. We all have different natural gifts and abilities and shapes and sizes and, and uh, cultures and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it is all by design of God. And God is using each part in the way that He sees fit to build His kingdom. His kingdom is already perfect in heaven. It is already perfect. There is no argument with God in heaven. There was an argument once. And I started to say some minutes ago, and I'm going to sum it up again, if I had, and I never finished this thought, if we could sum up the enemy, sum up the devil with, with one word, everything, all the evil, all the evil, the murders and the, the sex slave trade stuff, the crazy stuff that we're finding out about going on in our world today, but the most evil of all is pride. All of that boils down to pride. It is anything or anyone that exalts itself above God, right? And he's been trying. Everybody say he's been trying. Since the beginning of time, he came with Adam and Eve. Now, that didn't work, did it? Am I, are we, am I going off on a tangent now? Or are we going step by step? Are we following? Everybody following? It didn't work, though, did it, with Adam and Eve? Because God had a plan, didn't he? God already started giving them pre-Christ grace and mercy, and there was some curses that hum humanity had to now endure. One of them is death that Jesus will, th will throw into the lake of fire one day. Childbearing, right? The labor to, to work and to make yourself, to make in this earth. There are some curses that came with this realm of this earth, but many graces as well who has had to sweat and to strive, but then seen God's incredible favor bypass it. You're still physically sweating, but the sweating in your spirit is gone. Does that make sense? He, re he removes the cursing. He removes the curse 
even though the maybe even the physical, right? Someone uh, just reviewing again, listening to the heavenly man this week, and it was a Chinese man who was in prison, tortured for Christ for many years of his life, and they asked him uh, when he was released years later, and he was over here in the U.S., and they said, it must have been horrible, and he said, horrible? He said, I had incredible joy because Jesus was with me. And so it's not the natural, right? There is, the, there is a natural curse that came. The devil tried it, but he lost, right? We still see with our human eyes a natural uh, um, repercussions of the sin, right, in the garden. But in the spirit, Jesus has already done it, hasn't he? He already, right away, as soon as we read in Genesis about grace and about favor, we start seeing him calling Abraham and setting apart. He starts immediately setting us apart, giving us the opportunity to be, even though you, you are in this world, to not be of it, to be different, to be part of his kingdom again. He has started establishing that immediately, right? Genesis starts immediately giving Abraham the opportunity to come back out of this world, even though the devil tricked us and put us in as peasants and peons, right? Pawns on his game of chess just took humanity and used them as pawns. He doesn't care about you. He only hurts you to hurt God. He doesn't care to do anything or, or to be anything in, in this earthly realm, really. It's just to hurt God because God struck him down like lightning, Jesus says. But something then happened as they came out of the garden and they were in this new realm. The Bible says that man did whatever was right in his own eyes, right? That's what happens. When we leave the kingdom, when we get out from under the authority, everybody say the authority of God, and the authority he's established. When you get out from under that authority and you get on your own, you will do whatever you think is best. If no, if, if no one is there to tell you, but also slash, or if you don't care about the person who's there to tell you what is right and wrong, you will then do what you assume is right. Who knows that what we do and what we think is right is not necessarily what God says is right. So what does God do? God says, it breaks my heart, but I'm gonna start again. Noah, get in the ark, come into the ark. God separates again. He says, I'm gonna go back to kind of like an Adam stage where we're gonna go just a few again. We're gonna try this again. They go into the ark and everything dies. Everybody, everything is gone. And then they come out of the ark to, and the earth is green again, right? We have the symbol that the Holy Spirit, the dove, went into the ark and rode with God's set-apart people. And then he, the ark rests and he comes back out. The Spirit comes back into the earth. Let's begin again. Let's do this humanity thing on this earth again. 
right? We understand this. But what happened? They began to do their own thing again. And I just want to look for just a few minutes at the book of Genesis chapter 10. I'm going to look at chapter 11, but let's go to chapter 10 first. Genesis chapter 10, and I'm going to find you your verse here. I want to look at 11, but I want to read something in 10 first, because it says that Noah had three sons. Everybody know that, right? Noah had three sons. It's not like the movie, by the way. No one else hitched a free ride. Anybody seen the movie, Noah? (laughs) No one hitched a ride. (laughs) He had three sons and only three sons. No freebies, no stowaways. When the Lord said everyone died, everyone died. But in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8, it says that Cush, it says actually back a little bit further. Cush, verse 8, was also the ancestor of Nimrod. Everybody say Nimrod. And it says that he was the, depending on how you translate this, the NLT says the first heroic warrior on earth. But in the New King James, it says that he was a mighty one of the earth. But this is coincidental that the exact same word here for heroic warrior is the same exact Hebrew word. See, we're, tra- we're reading this in English. But when David slayed Goliath, he was called a mighty champion, right? We know that. The champion is dead. It's the same exact word here for Nimrod. Right here, he was the first heroic warrior on earth. He was the first. Everybody say he was the first. There had to be a first, right? Where did Goliath come from? Somebody was first. He didn't just appear out of nowhere. He was the first of the champions, whatever your translation says, which was what? What did did Goliath symbolize? Goliath came out and he defied God. There was a first, too. Defiance against God. Remember, David in response said, Who is this? Uh, Jeannie just mentioned this on Tuesday. This uncircumcised Philistine, this uncovenanted, this guy who thinks that he's going to defy God, he taunted the people and mocked God for 40 days until David dealt with him. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Lord always has somebody to deal with the heroic warriors, the champions, doesn't he? It has always been his plan. There's always been the plan of God to have dominion and, com- and communion and fellowship with us. And, and if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what you're going to find is that side by side, there's always been a plan. There's always been seeds of Satan to try to create his own kingdom, a kingdom that defies the kingdom of God. There's always been, and it says that he was the first, and it says that uh, in verse 9, it says he was a great hunter. We don't necessarily know. I don't think he hunted game, um, game animals. 
but we don't know. I'll leave it at that. But I believe that this probably means something else. Probably a hunter of men is a warrior that was a killer. <laughs> he was the first of the killers. And it says that this man, people would say, verse 9, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. But it says that he built a kingdom. Everybody say, a kingdom. And in the new king, it says Babylonia here, which I believe Babylon is, is synonymous with Babel because the new King James says he built a kingdom that was Babel. Some people argue that Babylon and Babel is something different, but I believe that they are the same or at least within the same realm, same kingdom. And it says in the new King James that he built Babel. He built Babel, and it says that it was in the land of Shinar. And from there, in the New King James, he went and he built Assyria and Nineveh. Anybody know, Bible aware here? Who's read your Bible? All these kingdoms, the Assyrians end up, come on, we got, we got to deal with the Assyrians in the books of Kings, right, later on. Right, Ahab, in fact, is dealing with one of those Assyrian kings. And then he mentions here in um, verse 12, resin. Remember, we have to deal with resin later on. And then in verse 11, we, we have Nineveh, right? That's Jonah. Jonah's got to go deal with Nineveh. We also find out that his descendants are the Canaanites, all of those, the Jebusites, the Amorites that he has to deal with. We also find that there are Sodom and Gomorrah, etc., God had established again. Come on, everybody say, let's just get this. God wants to establish his kingdom. God wants us separated. He brought them into the ark to separate them. We are not of this world. God, if you want to be in his kingdom, you are no longer of this world. We must get into the ark. And then when they came back out of the ark, right, we must even, even look at the symbolism of go into the presence of God. And then when we have our time with God and we have to live in this world, we must do like Jesus says in John 17, but not be of this world. We are different. We are separated. But the enemy has tried to put his plan side by side. Always, right at the garden, right after the ark, and so on. It continues, right? It continues. Even Genesis 6 says that we don't understand exactly what they were, but some sort of giant demonic creature, whatever the giants, whatever they are, whatever Nimrod is, whatever... Um, without getting into a huge Bible study, whatever Goliath is, some sort of defiant against God, giant man. And it is tried, and it says in Genesis 6 that they were in that time and afterward. The point is, is that they were always, the devil's always been trying. Don't be surprised when you look out and see darkness as believers. And don't be surprised when it looks as though they are building, they are ruling. This is the, the thing that is so hard for me to understand as a human, but I just have to give it to God. And I think we all are on this page. Is that God allows time for these pagan people to rule before he deals with them. But he always does, doesn't he? I don't understand the time in between. Why Goliath taunted for 40 days? Why Ahab lived for all those years? And, so, and the other foreign, like, I'm always like, God, why didn't you just, why would you let these people do such evil things for so long? 
And we just have to leave it at this. Go back to the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom. It's your kingdom, your Lord, you're above it all. And we know this. We know this because of the Bible's history, and we know it because of Bible prophecy, that God will deal with every single wrong. He deals with every single one of them. In fact, I was just reading in Revelation again. I referenced 1911 last week with him on the white horse, and he's king of kings, and he's going to come riding again. He's going to deal with it. And then if you read into 21, how it talks about how the Lord, he takes everything, he throws it in the lake of fire, he reestablishes his kingdom, he takes the beast, he takes the antichrist, he takes even death itself as if it's an entity and throws it into the lake of fire. God will deal with every single foreign, uh, prideful, etc. thing that puts itself before the Lord. And he is. But do you know how God does that? If you start to read through your Bible, you're going to find that God doesn't do it without using people. He uses you and I. He can. Don't you think God is more than capable of supernaturally just wiping out? And I just, I love the story that we just preached uh, recently about uh, Jehoshaphat, where all they had to do was just um, follow God's commands. They prayed, they worshiped. And he gives them a strategy. God does do it supernaturally, but it's always intermingled with the people. He could have just done it without their worship, without their praise, without them being a part of it. But God does it. And I've said this before. I don't know why he has to use us or why he chooses to use us. But even the 12 disciples, God don't you think that Jesus is more than capable of being Jesus and spreading his gospel throughout the world with using no people? Couldn't he just give every single person on earth a dream or a vision? But he chose to raise up people, chose to raise up um, people that would carry and fought. They faced adversity. They faced tremendous adversity, even physical death. Even David, when he dealt with Goliath, it was not an easy fight. No one in the entire kingdom, including Saul, the king, was willing to fight him. David, by the Spirit of the Lord and with the Lord's help, did it. But so what I want to establish and what I've been uh, looking at from last week to this week is that the enemy's been trying to build his kingdom, but, and he does build for a season, but God always deals with it every single time. And who God uses is you. But I want to quickly look, that was a preview for more, for about us as the church. But I just wanted to say that so I don't leave you just thinking about the enemy and thinking about his power. I'll talk more about who we are as the church and how we do that, how we walk with Jesus hand in hand, that koinonia, Right, that Greek word, I love that it's his power in, in our mouth. It's his power in our hands. Why do we have to lay our hands on someone? What does that matter? Why can't Jesus just do it? But he uses our hands. He uses our mouth. Why did he have the prophets proclaim? It's that connection between God and low human. I have an opinion, but it's my opinion. And I think it's because Satan, who in his natural state, us without Christ, Satan is higher, right? We know because the Bible tells us there's God, there's Jesus, there's the angels, and then there's humans. 
and Satan's a fallen angel. And I believe, this is just my opinion, but I believe he does it. And I do have some scriptures that we could look at. We don't have the time. But I believe he does it on purpose to mock because the Satan's a mocker. Satan was the taunter, just like David was the, he was the least. Who's David? Some shepherd boy out there takes down their mighty champion. So I believe that the Lord does it on purpose, uses us on purpose. He could do it himself, but to show Satan, I don't think the whole thing is about showing Satan who's boss. I really don't. It's about us and him, but God's doing so many things at once because he's God, right? He's keeping everything in balance in the whole universe. He's, he's answering prayers and loving people and dealing with this, dealing with that, and all of this all at once because he's God. So I don't want to say this is his whole purpose. His purpose is in his fellowship with us. That's the purpose. The purpose of God, we know that because that's what the Bible says, not my opinion. He made creation and it all looked beautiful and was all wonderful, but it wasn't perfect. He wanted companionship, he wanted friendship with us, which we will have with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But in the meantime, he is using us and to show the devil who's boss. And let's just, I want to pause here in Genesis and let's just go over to the book of Ephesians chapter three. And I'll come back to Genesis 10 and then we'll, we'll finish up. Ephesians chapter three, doing this a little bit different today. How are we doing? Okay, guys. Devil didn't stop us with a little bit of sleep today, did he? It says in Ephesians chapter 3, that verse 3, that God had a mysterious plan. Everybody say he had a mysterious plan. And he reveals it, right? Paul says he's revealed it to me, and he says, and um, verse 5, God did not reveal it to previous generations. He's now revealed it, and it's to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is his plan. Everybody say this is his plan that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. And he had created this wonderful plan through Jesus Christ, right? Began with Abraham, separated people, but then through Jesus welcomed all of us in. It was always his plan. Everybody say it was always his plan. We don't understand the gap of time in between, and we have to learn as believers when we have questions. The, the questions in between, the question and the answer comes questioning. We ask the question, God brings the answer eventually. But in that meantime, there's a room for questioning. We have to learn to not question when we ask God a question. And just know that he's going to bring the answer. It was always his plan. He was always going to do it. And it says that God's purpose, verse 10, through this is for the Jew and the Gentile, for us as the church. Everybody say, as the church. It tells us here that it was to use, I love how the NLT summarizes this verse, because it says, to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God does not need to show himself to his angels or to Jesus, okay? Okay. Who is he talking about here? 
right? In the New King James, it calls it the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. And it says, verse 11, everybody say, this was his eternal plan. It was always his plan. God always planned to carry it out through Jesus Christ that the church would have dominion with Christ. That is not a pride thing. There is no pride in Jesus. Pride is only found in Satan. You find humility in Jesus. Dominion does not equal pride. Dominion is knowing your place. Jesus knew his place, and yet in humility, he let them put him on a cross. The heavenly man, as you read his book, his if you could describe it as pride, I don't even want to, but if there's pride, it was like Paul says, it's only in Jesus. I know who I am in Jesus, and yet he allowed human beings to still touch his body for the purpose and glory of God. Many miracles came out of that. Many people got saved by seeing him go through it and not break, and many other things as well. But God has established his kingdom on this earth and is establishing it. He laid down a foundation that could not be moved, Jesus Christ. And he has been building upon that. And if we just have a few more minutes, everybody okay for a few more minutes? Let's go back to Genesis 11 now. And we see that he built a city called Babel. And in Genesis 11... It says, verse 1, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. It could also be, you could understand this as the people were one. They were united. If you understand this and you really study this out, it wasn't just one language. They were one people. That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Sounds like a good thing to be united, to be one. You know, there are many things on this earth that are united in darkness. Hell's angels are very united. <laughs> they are. They are united worldwide for a purpose, as well as every other gang. I'm not going to stand here and name names of gangs, but every gang is united. They are united. They are one. It sounds good. There are many purposes, even in this nation, right, that are united. And they're powerful because of unity. Unity is powerful. In fact, I just don't have the time, but come on, church. We need to be united. Holy Spirit's just been speaking that this week. We have to look past our little differences and be united because unity is so powerful. But when darkness unites... Even though it will fail, it has power. And it says that as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia. You could read this as the plain of Shinar in the New King James. And they settled there. Everybody say they settled there. And it says in verse 3, they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire in this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into, the New King James says, let's pull that up in the New King James, verse 4. 
And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. I will say this as a disclosure. Genesis doesn't say a ton of what happened or what was in their heart here. You have to go extra biblical to um, Flavius Josephus is just one and to other books of the time to talk about the history, talk about what's going on. Um, But there is a clear picture that within their heart, when they began to build this, for themselves in their own city. It had nothing to do with because we want to be together, because we love each other, and we want to be one. It was in rebellion against God again, just as they rebelled, rebelled in simplicity about disobeying in the garden. Satan had prompted them to rebel in the garden. They lost their kingdom, their dominion. They came out of the garden into the earth and they began to do what they wanted to do in rebellion and lost their kingdom. And so they said, let's build our own kingdom. Let's do our own thing. Forget God. And in fact, some of the things I studied said that the tower was actually in an effort that if the Lord were to flood the earth again, they could survive. And that's very interesting. I had never heard that before. And I went on in my studies and found that just as you know, the flood story is found even in Amazon jungle tribes that have had no contact with humanity forever. They don't call God our God, but somewhere, you know, their ancestors were all together once. There was only three sons. And when the whole earth became populated, they all came from somewhere and the story continued. And then they messed, they twisted it. The Bible tells us, right, that they came up with their own ideas and made their own religions. We know that. But I didn't realize this, that just as all the nations, I mean, you go in American Indian tribes, I started reading through. I was stumbled onto a website and just gave lists and lists of all the cultures around the world and their folklore that is in our Bible. It's folklore for them because they have it all twisted up with other stuff, but it's in our Bible. And one of them is, it's not just that the great deluge, but also that after the great deluge that they built themselves a city with a tower. In fact, it could be, you could call this Atlantis, this Babylon, this great city, this, and in fact, Babylon is talked about all the way over in Revelation, right? The dragon, Satan ruling that place, that Satan city, that's a city of rebellion. It's a picture of rebellion. It's a picture of our own thing. It's doing what we want to do and not what God wants to do. God is establishing his kingdom, but one thing that God, we can't just call on Jesus without understanding that Jesus is of a kingdom. He's a king. And if we're going to call on Jesus, then we must understand that Jesus has a way. He has a will and he has a plan. And you cannot have Jesus without that. You cannot have Jesus without Jesus's kingdom. And if you have Jesus's kingdom, right, tells us to pray. The most important, he tells us one prayer to pray. I pray for your kingdom to come, your will be done. They built for themselves 
a tower. Now, this is what's amazing. It says, this will keep us from being scattered. Verse 5 will continue the New King James. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city. Again, this is amazing. Something, something was happening here. The Lord literally came down out of the heavens to see this. So this was not just, hey, let's build, something. Let's build a pretty tower. Let's build something. But they began to build something that caused the Lord to come down. And, and in fact, he says, the tower which the sons of men had built, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They are united in rebellion. They're united. They are one, but it is not one with God. Everybody say they were not one with God. And they have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they, that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. So God had to break it up. God has been breaking up. Come on, this is what Jesus came and crushed Satan under his feet at the cross and told us, I will make a way. I am the way. Join with me. Come and follow me. Don't just say my name. You just you say my name, it's not enough. What happened to the sons of Sceva? Right? Does everybody remember the story? In the name of Jesus, come out. The demons go, we know Jesus and we know Paul. I don't know who you are. And then they came on them and devoured them. There is no power that can touch the power of God, the power of Jesus, the power of his name. Nothing, no one and nothing can touch it. And he has welcomed us in to that kingdom to have dominion with him. And it is not so that when we grab our horse and go, okay, Jesus, I'm in a kingdom now. I'm a king and I'll see you soon. I'm going to go out and just explore. There'll be plenty of time for exploring the universe. It is, Lord, what do you have for me? Just as Jesus said, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Something that could be asked is, why didn't Jesus heal every single person everywhere he went? Some cities it said he healed all. In some cities, he only healed. He found one and touched one person. Because even Jesus was directed by the Spirit with a purpose. I don't know exactly what his plan and purpose was everywhere he went, but it was on, a, it was on purpose and for God's purpose. But to wrap this up, he says, come, let us, verse 7, go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's, one another's speech. And the Lord scattered them. He scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth. And they ceased building the city. And its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. We know, though, that some hundreds of years later, to, uh, that the kingdoms and Canaan began to flourish again, a thousand years or whatever it is later, the Lord goes in again and deals with them, doesn't he? This very same people, the Lord, the Lord is establishing and he's looking what he did. It was found a people that would accept his salvation and then a people that would call him Lord and would trust him. 
I mean, if they did one misstep, we should read the Bible more often as believers. I know that sounds like uh, really silly to say Christians read the Bible, but we should be reminded again that when they came into Canaan to crush this kingdom that Satan had built, if they took what the Lord said don't take, if they did what the Lord said don't do, he had to deal with it. Because he's God and because he just wants to show his power? Not necessarily, but yes, at the end of the day, because he's God. It is to teach obedience. And why? Because it also must be seen that this is a war. And it is a powerful enough war that the devil's not going to win. We know that. But he does hold up God's kingdom for seasons. I don't know how. God always wins every single time, but for seasons. And we must understand, this is making sense today. It makes sense. We are part of his kingdom. We are not free. You've been freed. Everybody say, I've been freed, but I'm not free. You've been freed from the devil's grasp and his kingdom, but you were grafted you were planted, you were placed, you were assembled, etc. I could go on and on, and you know I can. In his kingdom and for his use. Let's just stand and pray. Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are king of kings and lord of lords. And for Thousands of years, the devil thought he had this world, and then you showed him on the cross. And for 2,000 years, Lord, your word says that even the devil gets the people to say he's never coming again. But that's just the time for us to look for you, that, Lord, you are going to rule and reign forever. And there is a people that, is, that you have welcomed, you have given us, Lord. There is a people that said, I don't want it. And you said, go into the highways and the byways and go and look for those that will come and who will be part of my kingdom. But I thank you, Lord, you also said that we must come in with the right garment. A man came in with the wrong garment and you said, what are you doing here, Lord? There is a way. There is a way in your kingdom. It is submitted into you. It is, Lord, to be placed where you place us. It is to be submitted where you submit us. It's to stand up when you say to stand up and to sit down when you tell us to sit down. It's to do what you tell us to do. It's to say what you tell us to say. And I thank you, Lord, that when we do that, we don't look at the circumstances. We don't look at how long it takes or how quick it is. We just say, yes, Lord, and I thank you, Lord. Your kingdom will be established. You will be God. And I thank you, Lord, on this earth. Thank you, Lord, that as we submit, Lord Jesus, your whole gospel message, the good news is that if we will submit to the kingdom, if we will be one with your kingdom just as you submitted and taught us, Lord Jesus, I thank you. That's the only way we're going to bring people in. We're not doing anybody a service by bringing them into some Jesus that is outside the kingdom, but it is Jesus of the kingdom. It is to bring them in to meet Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's to bring them in to meet Jesus who said, not my will, but your will be done. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your mercy, your incredible unmerited favor, Lord, towards us. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and I pray that you would sink this word down deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.